Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday. Um, early afternoon, I'm going to see if I can do a bio today. It's something unusual. I wasn't expecting to do it. Um, and I actually have to run to do a wedding in a little while. But we can do a piece on this now. Uh, this is the second of the uh, uh, sponsorships of uh, Dove Hirsch. I'm very grateful. Zibbert has very kind of him to step in the plate. And um, so we thank him. And I'll tell you where I'm coming from. It's pouring around the corner. So it comes this time of year. I always try to finish Megillah, the Gemara, and I always did the second, third, and the fourth parak. That's how I do it, and then you go back to the first. And in addition to that, and I hope tomorrow or the next day to say of a word or two, um, Purim, that I'll handle a little bit later. But uh, whenever one of the things that comes to Purim, what I do every year, or yeah, it's probably every year, is uh, you go into the Sugar of Yaharg, Yavar Yavar Yaharg, because that Queen Esther is a classic example, and that sends you to the Gemara in Sanhedrin 74b. Uh, and I was having a few thoughts of that because I want to prepare uh, in time for Purim Advartor. Uh, I usually do that when I have uh, a, a Masiva Sim at my house. And what I'm going to say right now is uh, Derek Agav of all that. The, uh, there's a very famous Gemara, uh, many probably know it. Uh, and a very famous Tosavus, where um, the Gemara says, Esther Befarhesia Havir. How could Queen Esther go and uh, live with Achashverosh? It was Befarhesia. And anytime you have Befarhesia, it's Gil Arayas, you know. So uh, it's one of the big three, right? So having a relation with somebody, you're not allowed to have a relation with one of the big three. And um, when it's Befarhesia, there's no Heterim. So the Gemara famously said, I think you know what I'm talking about. So uh, the famous answer is Esther Karka Olam Hoiso. This is a sugya in Shas, that Esther was uh, like a piece of ground note. She, she was a victim, as we'd say today. She was passive. So she didn't do anything. She was stuck in a situation she couldn't get out of. And so one way of getting around the problem of of uh, the big three is to say, well, she didn't do anything. Um, she was forced, which is true. That's a one answer by Omar Esther Karkolam and Rabbah says Hanon Satsman And Rabbah says a different terrorist, which is uh, Hashverish, uh when he did his wasn't involved wasn't in, in, engaged in a conversion campaign. As Rashi says, Sha'ina Nachri Miskavin Lahaviro Miyiro uh it's not when you're dealing with a situation where the person who's not Jewish is not not trying to convert you. Um El Hanos Asimus come, but just trying for his own Hano, which is what Achashirish was into. He wasn't into conversion, he was into his own pleasures. Shiny Vain Kanchel Hashem Laharagalkach. So then it's not a, a one of the big three. Right? Those are the two classic answers. So uh, again, the Gemara says, how could Queen Esther uh, allow herself to be in this situation? One answer is she was forced, she didn't do anything. Literally, she didn't do anything. So she was like a passive victim. And, uh, yeah, and that was a kind of a rape. 
and uh, on a continuous basis. I mean, you know, she had a terrible life. She had a terrible life. And, and she was a, you know, she was a heroine. And the other answer is Hanos Atmo. So it's a very famous question that Tosis asked. And that is, why didn't the Gemara say, uh, forget Pepharhesi? How can you do Gila Rice at all? How can you do Gila Rice at all? Um, why'd she allow herself to get in this situation altogether? Not from the point of view of Bepharhesia, because when it's Bepharhesia, then there are no um, heterim, even the non-big three, you know, you have to give your life when it's public knowledge. Uh, why don't you simply say Gila Rice itself? And there's a famous debate between two characters, between the Rabbeinu Tom on the one hand and the Rivom on the other. Therein lies the point I wanted to make today. Because Rabbeinu Tom, uh, who's the greatest of the Tosafists, says very famously, and I would say controversially, that um, the whole business of Gilarai is done apply with a guy, basically. So the very racist kind of art, which is, you know, it's, it's, not the, the, it's not one of the big three when it's involved with a guy because they don't count. And I have to translate that. Uh, and therefore, all the Gilarais applies for with a Jew. The woman with a Jew, married woman, assuming Esther was a married woman, with a Jew. Um, but not with somebody who's not Jewish. And it wasn't simply, uh, first of all, that's a Chiddush, right? Rabbeinu Tom is Mr. Chiddush. I mean, he's the type of guy that used to do that. And uh, I'm sure I mentioned this before. Tozes goes so far as to say that Rabbeinu Tom applied this halacha lamaisa, which doesn't surprise me at all, because he was Mr. Takov Shepet Tekefim. You know, he held it. And he had this is like a movie. Mitoch kach hayrotz Rabbeinu Tom lahater bas Yisrael sheimira ubole anochri b'shuv nisgairi ma lekaima biyados. That there was a story that he dealt with in France. There's a Jewish girl. Now again, this is a movie. Uh, <laughs> the unorthodox stuff of the 12th century, uh, who Hamir converted. So basically, it was a married woman, Ish, and obviously she didn't like her husband, and she had an affair with a guy. And she converted to Catholic, and she ran off with the guy. So she had been a Ish. Married to a Jew. And then, Shuv Nisgair Imola Kambiyadis. She must have been some number because subsequently she had second thoughts. I'll tell you, I could <laughs> you know, give me a screenwriter and we're in business. He says, uh, So she had the affair with the guy and apparently she married the guy. The guy. That's what I assume. Once they became Catholics, so you know, the Jews couldn't do nothing. That's how it was in the Middle Ages. You could do anything you want, one way out is to convert. Um, what I mean by that is, if you were Jewish in the Middle Ages and you lived in what we call the Kehillahs, the autonomous coercive communities, so you were subject to the judicial system and the punishment system of the Jewish communities. So, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, if you look in different times and places, like in the Chubas Arash, uh, if a Jewish lady committed adultery with somebody who wasn't Jewish, I, would think, I think they cut her nose, cut her nose off. Uh, you know, all kind of crazy things which are non-Talmudic law. This is famous in the history of the Shalos and Shubas, in the history of the Jewish autonomy. Uh, what's his name? He has a book with all these uh, uh, punishments, uh, extrajudicial 
punishments, Simcha Asaf, Talmud, classic work from 100 years ago, literally 100 years ago. Uh, so if you had a Jewish woman who committed adultery, she could be punished by the Jewish community. Well, if she converts, they can't touch her. You get what I'm saying? Then you like, from the Christian point of view, to cut and chanola dummy, and the Jews cannot touch her. If they do, they'll, they'll all be severely punished. So one way out for a, um, a Jewish woman who got herself involved in an adulterous situation and didn't want to be punished by the Jewish community, which could be harsh, she said, well, I'm converting. And then the Jewish community, I'm Christian now. The Jewish community cannot touch me. And those were the laws of the Middle Ages. Once you're Christian, the Jewish community cannot touch you. Whatever it is that you did before when you were Jewish. This is part of life of yesteryear. And um, it's understandable from the Christian point of view. They were the rulers. And obviously they organized the laws in such a way to encourage people to convert to Christianity. In some countries, when someone was old and dying, it was a big problem with the estate because let's say for example i'm just making this up but this really did happen let's say for example um a guy let, i'm just making this up let's say a guy has 10 million dollars that's a lot of money and he has uh, three children and so he's going to divide it to a third a third a third let's for roughly you know without getting into the halachic details he has three daughters let's say for example right a third a third a third well one daughter says, i guess i don't want three million i want the whole shebang so she could convert, and then the, the, the Christian church would give it all to her. You follow? There were laws like that. And it did happen. Courts and, and lawyers and doctors see the worst of life. That's how it happened. So over here, she ran off. Once she ran off, the Jewish community couldn't touch her. Maybe she was young and had an old husband. I mean, that's often the way these things happened, to be perfectly honest. And she was involved with this guy. But deep down, she was Jewish. And then she wanted to return back to Judaism. You had that also in the Middle Ages. And uh, particularly in the time of Rabbeinu Tom, meaning in the 10, 1100s, in post-Crusades, there were a lot of situations where Jews found themselves, one reason or another, forced to convert to Christianity, either direct pressure or indirect pressure. And later on, they wanted to return to Judaism. Now, from a strictly halachic point of view, as you well know, once a Jew, always a Jew. But in the Middle Ages, people were very emotional about this stuff. And if somebody went to the trouble of converting to another religion, Hamira, so uh, that was considered a shocking step. And if they wanted to go back to Judaism, the Jewish community, this is Ashkenazi from the Kishkes, you know, these are our ancestors from long ago. They said, you have to have a reconversion ceremony. Not from the strict halacha point of view, because as I said, from the strict halacha point of view, once a Jew always do, you can convert 20 religions, it doesn't matter. I told you, the Vilna Gon told the guy to convert it, he says, you still, you still got to do Negelwasser, you know. The fact that someone converted doesn't excuse him or her from Tariq Mitzvahs at all. But having said that, I think you can understand that people felt, oh, you were in, in Tuma, or I don't know, something like that, and therefore they required a reconversion ceremony. It's in the Ramon in Yordea. Reconversion ceremony involving going to the mikvah, shaving your hair, this and that and the other. So, in, it doesn't mention that in his tosis, and maybe in his time it didn't exist. The key element over here is, the Rebbeinu Tom is saying, 
the key element over here, Toast is informing us, is she returned back to Judaism and she brought her boyfriend with her. So, in other words, here's a French Catholic guy who obviously fell for her big time. Adkadekach, then when she says, I want to go back to Judaism, he said, I want to remain married to you. And if necessary, I will convert to Judaism myself. So he really was a guy, and he really is converting. Now, aside from the romantic situation involved, you had the halachic situation that she should not be able to marry him because she was a married woman and had an affair with him. And That the Jewish law, of course, is I think everybody knows is that, uh, that a married woman had an affair with someone other than her husband can't even marry that person if she gets divorced from the husband or the husband dies. Right? He should just say, and that's what happened over here. Uh, but nevertheless, so he converted back with her, because they married. So he say you're going to view it like Bias Abahema, and therefore it doesn't count. And in other words, and in the story I just outlined for you, you know, Tosa doesn't give you all the details, but it's obvious, you know, she, by the time she returned to Judaism, let's say her husband, had, her Jewish husband had died, or he divorced her, or something like that. And Ravina says, okay, you can come back to Judaism, and you can stay with your your, your boyfriend, you can now marry Kedas Moshe Yisrael. It's, it's an interesting situation. I mean, <laughs> Do you give the guy Revi or Hamisha on jobs? You know, it's a, what, what, what exactly is a, uh, you know, what kind of a commit? How would you like that in your show? But nevertheless, it happened. Um, so that was the sheet to Rabbeinu Tom, which is very famous. Zirma Susan, all these Shiva guys know Zirma Susan, Zirma Sam. And that would explain Queen Esther. Achashir was not a Yid. That's the end of the story, right? So it wasn't a Gilarai situation, but it was a Bafrahesia situation. Okay, and then it says the Rivam, but this opinion of the Rebbeinu Tam was Hiksha was, I guess you'd say, criticized by the or challenged by the Rivam, and he goes on to say that this is just wrong, and that in point of fact, you can't do what Rebbeinu Tam did, and um, to be really exact. It doesn't say he did it. But the Rivam seems like challenged it. And he has good rise. Okay? He has good rise. Um, and he goes on to say from several places, especially the one that I'm thinking of concentrating on this year is Queen, when Queen Esther says, Kasher Avadati Avadati, famous Chazal in the Gemara there, in the Gadata, in the first parak in Megillah. Again, this is stuff that everybody knows. Kasher Avadati Avadati that if I'm going to go now and try to come on to the king, which is what she had to do, uh, to get him to annul the decree of Haman, so Kasher Nevin Bezaba Kano Bimach, Rashi says, now I'm not going to be Bainus anymore, so I'm not going to be Karka Olam, it's going to be Bemezid, um, the circumstances compel this, but it's going to be Bemezid, and therefore I'll be Usher to you, Mordechai. So you see that the Bia she's going to have with the Achashverosh, is going to be Echelabal, Echelabal. She's going to be also Labal as a result of that. So it's not going to be a case of Zirma Susan Zirmasam, and it is considered a regular act of adultery. She was just willing to bite the bullet 
to, you know, as a carbon to save Kali Yisrael. Um, one could and have, you know, discussed this at great length in the Achronic literature about whether that's considered amazing or not, because situationally, of course, it's um, it's uh, not amazing. I mean, she didn't want to do this. She was compelled by circumstances. You know, the, the Jewish people were in danger of losing their lives. Uh, and this is uh, the famous Maharik and things like that, that they talk about at great length. But the point I, what, the point I wanted to talk about today was that, uh, therefore, the Revom says this is all wrong. And uh, he goes to great lengths to prove this. And then he comes up with his own uh, shita, okay? He basically says, if Karka Olam is good enough to take care of the problem of Bepharhesia, then it's also good enough to take care of the problem of Gilarai. So that's kind of like his approach. Uh, so, as I said, this is Rabbeinu Tamboris, the Revom. Usually when most people, when they read Tosis, you see these in the abbreviation, that abbreviation, they don't know who these people are. It's, it's hard to know who all the Balitosis are. You know, this professor knew about it, and now Rabbi Kennerfog, you know, the people who specialize in this. But most people, you know, who are all these different Balitosis? I mean, everybody knows the Rabbeinu Tom and the Ri, and maybe one or two others, but the others, the Yeshiva guys pronounce it wrong, you know, the Ibra, Ibra, and all this stuff. And these are famous uh, Tosafists, usually from France or Normandy in the 1100s, for the most part, but not all. And, uh, you know, they were all interacting with each other, and and it's, and it's they were not, not all in the same generation. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the the uh, Rabbeinu Tom was, the, 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 let's say, the first generation, and the Re was student was the second generation. There's certainly a long history to how the Tosfos evolved and assumed the literary form that we have them today. The easiest way to understand it is three generations. There's been a time to read the Rajbo. As I always say, not the Rajbo, but the Rajbo. Shim Shim Ben Avram, he's the one who wrote the whole thing out. And later on, it was condensed. But I don't want to bore you with all that. Uh, here, uh, here's the point I wanted to make today. So it's the Rabbeinatam proposed this, and the Revolm shot it down. Because we do not paskin generally like the Rabbeinatam. Although, the Rabbeinatam is the Rabbeinatam. I want to be clear about that. You could totally learn, if you were giving a Dvar Torah, that Queen Esther said, I hold like the Rabbeinatam. Uh, even though there are strong kashas on him, but, you know, the Rabbeinatam is the Rabbeinatam. Having said that, the kashas on him are pretty strong. And that's why, like I said before, if if it's true, Zermasum is Zermasum, why did Queen Esther say, I won't be able to be, stay married to, to Mordecai? That's a, like a famous part of the story from the point of view of the Torah Shabbat Pat. Uh, but again, without getting into the nitty gritty over here, uh, I was I I, I saw the uh, where's it is it in the Steins also or in the in the new uh, you know Ozvahader uh, Tosvos. It's not Rivam, it's Rabbi Yitzchak ben Mordechai. Now, uh, Rivam usually I would think would be a brother of Rabbi Yitzchak. That's how I used to learn it in the past, because you see the abbreviations. Usually Rivam is Yitzchak ben Meir. So Rashi had three daughters, as far as we know, no sons. One of them uh, got divorced and all that stuff. One of them married a guy named Meir, who was a big Talmud Chacham, and he had the three kids, the three stars, Yaakov and Shmuel and Yitzhak. Yaakov became Rebbeinu Tam, Shmuel became Rajbam, and Yitzhak became Rivam. So three brothers. 
So it's a classic Tosis type thing. The Rebbein of Tom, they, it was a Purim. <laughs> they were talking about Esther of Havia. And, you know, Yaakov said uh, this, and uh, Yitzhak shot him down, and so forth and so on. But I see now in the new uh, Gemaras that have the Russia Tavis sometimes spelled out, it's Yitzhak ben Mordechai. So it's not the classic Rivam who is the brother of Rebbein Tom. So who is Yitzhak ben Mordechai? Who is this guy? Um, who's Yitzhak ben Mordechai? It's not so well known. But fortunately, recently, so, so there, when you when somebody's interested in these questions, uh, I live in Baltimore. I don't have access to all the literature, but I have uh, the famous uh, Balitosis, two volumes from uh, Professor what's his name, uh, Urbach, which you know it's it's, it's a very dreary. You know, you go through all the little detail, but it's necessary if you want to go after any individual Tosafist. Uh, Urbach was the professor of rabbinic literature or something like that at Hebrew U for a million years. Uh, he wrote his dissertation in Germany, went to, like, to the conservative place, if I remember correctly, in Breslau in uh, the 1930s, and he wrote his dissertation on the Tosafists in German. And eventually, you know, over the course of time, he turned it into a book, a classic book. But, you know, that's in the 1960s, I guess, the 50s and 60s, so it's a little bit outdated. Um, a lot of stuff has happened in terms of scholarship since that period. That's, uh, what, 60 years ago, 70 years ago? Something like that. And uh, you got to be up on all the newest uh, stuff. This Professor Emmanuel in Israel. There's a whole new uh, crop of people. Uh, f- so what's interesting is that uh, there's somebody I know, a very nice person. Uh, I, I don't have the chutzpah to call him a friend of mine, but, you know, but uh, we were friendly relations as Professor Rami Reiner in Israel, and he published now a very good, most up-to-date biography of Rabbeinu Tom, which is not easy to do. The most up-to-date biography of Rabbeinu Tom, uh, which I got, uh, Bernie Leetag was kind enough to send it to me. It just, it just came out very recently. Rabbeinu Tom, Parshanu Pulmus, from Professor Avram Reiner. And it's very good. And it's the point is like this. This guy's the... Uh, Professor again of Talmud or something like that, at uh, I guess is a Hebrew or Barilon, you know, it's a very hush of a place, and he eats and breathes this stuff. Okay, I remember asking once, what's the going on with Rabbeinu Tam and and hunting with birds, you know, falconing, that he seems to have done like the French nobility. Rabbeinu Tam very uh, not understood personality, uh, but I'm flipping through over here the book Mouse this morning. Because this interests me, Yitzhak ben Mordechai. And he has a whole uh, little chapter uh, of a couple pages in which I found very interesting, and that's what I'm sharing with you today. So here's one of the many Bali Tosvas. As I said before, there are a hundred of them. I don't know how many. There's a lot of Bali Tosvas if you take the trouble to go through each and every one. If you, uh, not long ago, my grandson here in T.I., Vechareti school day, uh, you know, there was a talk about, is there a Rabbi Peter, Rabbi Petr? I said, yeah. Uh, I think the Rebbe didn't believe it. Somebody said, let's get the art school book, you'll see yourself, you know, without going through all the business, and they sure he's there. Uh, he was actually um, uh, a martyr, like that of Kiddush Hashem. You know, because the uh, uh, Black Hatters would be surprised that you know, there's a rabbi named Peter. But the Balitos is a very, very great group and very interesting. So one of them was Yitzhak Ben Mordechai. And I'm reading in Professor Reiner's very nice piece, very nice, 
Um, he has a chapter called Mitzarfas Laashkenaz, Al Torah Sarbena Tambashkenaz, which, as you can tell by the title, has to do with the Hashpa, the Rabbeinu Tam, who was a, such a big deal during his time, had him students who are not French, that are German, and after they learned by him, moved back to Germany. And what's really interesting is, in this chapter, that our hero, Yitzhak ben Mordechai, turns out that, uh, number one, he's a Yaki, he's from, 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 from Germany. Number two, he was... I'm trying to think how to say it over here. He was someone who learned uh, by an older Rosh Hashiva before he went to Rabbeinu Tam. Okay? Let's put it that way. He learned by an older Rosh Hashiva before he went to Rabbeinu Tam. Uh, who would that be? I remember it was, a, it was a Talmud of Rashi. Okay? So, and then, when he was already Mavugar, you know, when he was already a Chash of a guy, then he went to learn by uh, Rabbeinu Tam, which is interesting. So in other words, he's not 15 or 16 years old or something like that, but he's already was uh, a well-known uh, scholar, you know, big Talmud Chacham, and already at that age, as a big Talmud Chacham, then he went to learn uh, by Rabbeinu Tam, which shows you the type of people that Rabbeinu Tam had with him. And the uh, relationship between two is, is really fascinating because... Uh, <laughs> He went to, like we say today, he went to learn by Chaim Brisker, but he wasn't afraid of him at all. And as you see in the toast that I just uh, mentioned to you, and uh, he's part of a group uh, that, and this is where the history comes in, part of a group that's very interesting. There were students, if you learned by Urbanu Tom, so he had his own take on whole Shas, and therefore he had his own take on whole Halacha. And it's very yeshivish in that I don't care what the local minhag is. I learned the sugya, and I'm convinced that this is what the Shah says, and then this is what happens. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. So this makes you the enemy of the Yekisha mentality, which and literally, which says, this is the way we did it here, and we don't change. So if Rabbeinu Tam comes to the conclusion that Myra should be at this time, I don't care what happens in the Yeki land. This is the way Myra should be. Opposed to that is the other way, which is, this is the Minigashkinats on the Rhineland and so forth. This is how we've been doing it for 100, 200 years. Ain't nobody telling us to change and we're doing it wrong. And I don't care what you learn in your Gemara. That's, you know, as the Allah of Lola Misa. Uh, that is a classic tension that exists down till today and um, has always been through Jewish history. Maybe it's a little less of it today for the following reason. The um, Gemeinde Orthodoxy, the regular communal Orthodoxy in which you have a Kehillah, which is around for a long time and has developed its own in Hogan, all the rest of it, really didn't exist in America um, yesteryear. The Orthodox Judaism fell apart and became very decadent and was taken over by the Yeshiva world, so to speak. Notice that the, the Orthodox Synagogue been peopled by people who are coming from, from Yeshivas. That's a basic uh, sociological fact. From YU to, to Lakewood, you know, it doesn't matter what the issue is, but that, that's what it is. And so you is no such thing for an irregular show. Now, I'm not talking about broyers. That's different. That is different. And I'm not talking about like a Hasidic community. That is different. But we're talking about regular. So no such thing as a show where, oh, this is the way we've always done it. 
And therefore, I don't care what the yeshiva says. The guys can, you know, the, the guys in the shul give no, no, no time for that. He said, what do you mean this is the way he always did it? He always also had people that were Michal Shabbos that make the, you know, this shul don't have no, uh, doesn't have any uh, um, standing or, you know, uh, customs that just because people used to do it, that's the way we're going to do it. Uh, we have a new and improved Judaism based on the yeshivas, which at least there everybody's from. And so as a result, I've seen and you've seen that uh, all the shuls have, to whatever degree, changed to conform to like the yeshiva culture, to one degree or another. I mean, there may be a few exceptions here and there, but that's older people or something like that. You know, all the new shuls. That's certainly the way it is in Baltimore, and I'm sure that's the way it is almost everywhere. And so, you don't have that clash. However, you will understand that long ago in Europe, things weren't like that. There were places that had Minhagim, and there were Minhagim and Hagim. And nobody had Minhagim like Germany, like the Rhineland. Uh, I mean, these were old Minhagim when Rashi was around. So, the Ashkenazi minute goes like this. If this is what my father did, this is what my bubby did all the rest of it, that's how it goes. I don't want to hear nothing from your Gemara, you know? Right? I'm sure if you knew my ancestors, they were Moshe Nafshem al Hashem in the Crusades and things like that. And if they did this, it must be that's the right way to go. Because we go me, me sofrim below me sfarim, as the expression used to be. Now, um, you then have a situation, like a classic situation, where a guy comes out of Yeshiva, he has Micha, he's a big Tamachacham, he gets a job, he comes to a community. They're doing something. He holds that it's wrong. They should change it. They're not going to change it. You understand? And they're going to say, well, this is, the old Rav did it this way, and the one before him did it this way. And this guy's going to say, well, they were all wrong. And for now, we're going to do it, you know, the way I say. I've seen this in Baltimore in connection with davening early on Friday. In, in various contexts, you, you see this. And um, if it's the Middle Ages, if it's the 1100s, the Yeshiva guys are going to lose. <laughs> you follow? They're going to lose. So imagine a bunch of yekas. This is what happened. I'm going by this very interesting chapter in Professor Reiner's book. Uh, you have these yekas who go learn by Rabbeinu Tom. They're blown away by his brilliance, his chiddish type approach. Uh, you know, super lumdish, as it were. And they say, this is the real thing. And Rabbeinu Tom has his way of doing tariag mitzvahs. And they are, by the way, it doesn't mean that they're going to follow him, how shall I say it, robotically. They themselves will argue on him sometimes, which is part of the culture of Tom encouraged clearly in his base medrash. That's the interesting thing to me. You see that he, you know, he, he was a real scholar. And what I mean by that is, I can take it as well as dish it out. I can take it as well as dish it out. And so if I see something you hold is wrong, go for it, baby. You understand? It's a it's, it's a real scholar doesn't mind being challenged. Did I ever tell you this? I read once an article in German many years ago uh, by uh, that conservative guy, whatever that if name escapes me. He was talking about growing up in Prague, and he was in a time in the interview Huda, and um, he was. It's, it was. It's a wonderful phrase. He said, you know. That there are a lot of Rabbonim that if they gave a Shabbos Shubhad Russia or something like that, Shabbos Gold Russia, they freaked out if people like interrupted them and challenged them. He said, but the Nerd of Yehuda, he was there, it was a he said in German, 
it was ungenugging. It was a it was a pleasure for him to be attacked by others. He liked the back and forth. You understand? He liked arguing and learning, which is what a real Talmud Chacham is like. So you can clearly see Rabbeinu Talmud was like that. He liked the arguing and learning. He didn't mind being challenged. And so these guys come with that, you know, mentality. And now they're going to move back to Germany. No, they're not. Where are they going to get? Where are they going to live? In the Rhineland, and Spears, Worms, Mize, Mets, those places. No, the locals are not going to listen to them. They're not interested in their new style of learning. They're going to say, this is the way we did Judaism until now. This is the way we do it now. They're not interested in the guys, uh, you know, uh, maybe in, a, in, in an abstract way, the Chedusha may be interesting or not interesting. Maybe not even that. But they're not changing nothing. And so basically, they're going to get a lot of uh, flack. Uh, so then, what I'm trying to say is, generationally, we have in Judaism every once in a while, a necessity, maybe because of the young, to come up with a new way, within the Torah tradition, of course, a new way, and with a new emphasis. And what these guys ended up having to do, including Aritzav and Mordechai, was they left the yeshiva whenever they did of Rabbeinu Tam, which was in France and Ramaru, and they moved not to Germany, but to the far ends of Germany, no, it was eastern Germany, in this case, Regensburg. Uh, a whole bunch of these guys were Talmud Rabbeinu Tam, who were from the Rhineland, and they finished their yeshiva learning, don't move back to their home, because in their home they'll get no reception. They'll be looked on as weird. So they moved to Karkavasula, an area where there's never been yeshivas or anything like this before, where the local customs aren't hard and fast because the communities are r- rather brand new. Uh, Regensburg is on the... Uh, go Google it, and you'll see in the map. It's it's not far from Czechoslovakia, let's put it that way. So it's on the other side of Bavaria. I, uh, I know if I talk geography, I'll confuse people. you know. But the Rhineland is over on the left, and they moved all the way to the right, let's put it that way. And, um, and therefore, they have a new area. So to use... Uh, to, to give you a general idea of what I'm talking about, suppose I had a whole new Chiddush uh, way of conducting the Tarag Misses. I wouldn't move to Baltimore, I wouldn't move to Lakewood, I wouldn't move to Muncie, but I could totally move to Omaha. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You know, I could totally move, you know, to, uh, I don't know, you know, a, 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 a place that, that, that doesn't have a fixed uh, position over there, uh, or somewhere in the south or whatever, you know. Uh, and that's what they did. And they turned Regensburg into a major Torah center of the new Chiddush Tikkaway. So this is an obscure uh, story simply because it's not so well known. Although if you read Reiner, you can see it. And what's really cool is the relationship that our hero, Yitzhak and Mordechai, who's the one who attacks um, Rabbeinu Tom very heavily. And by the way, the, I'll say it again. The reason we don't poskin like Rabbeinu Tom is because his student... The Yitzhak ben Mordechai, the Rivam, not Rashi's son-in-law, but this other person, uh, busted him. And, you know, the Kashas are a good Kasha. They busted him. We do not Paskin that way. We follow the student rather than the Rebbe. And it's so interesting because there is correspondence in different Mesechtas and in Rabbeinu Tom's writings in Sefer Ayashar between him and this student. And he's writing to him, listen to this. Um, some of the answers you, Morana, that you, my Rebbe, sent, there's a lot of kashas on them. You said it all wrong. If I follow what you say, 
then the, you know, low tim to yab regal base of This is a guy talking to his rebbe. For yachus adoni laharbis b'terutzim b'tehukim lashon atalman, and don't give me dochik dicky answer. In other words, don't adopt an attitude. We just have to defend a bad position with all kind of dochiks v'tzarich teretz l'teretz and gistra l'gistra. You know, in other words, only everything you say you'll have to defend with another thing and 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 and, and support it with another way. So basically, don't give me a shvacha answer. Um, it's interesting that they had this kind of. Let me put it this way: I wouldn't write like that to my rabbin, uh, uh, but Rabbeinu Tom didn't care. Notice you, you, you see clearly over here. He was fine with this because, uh, as I said before, he encouraged clearly in his uh, base medrash in his uh, yeshiva um, the idea that you know I can I can take it as well as dish it out. And so, give me your best kasha, give me your best stuff. Now, as I said before. Um, we're talking about a Purim Dikavart, which is, what's the story of Queen Esther and the Gilarias, uh, from the Talmudic perspective, let's put it that way. And uh, the Tosvos are um, edited. In other words, imagine Tosvos is a book. Somebody edited the stuff. We do not have all the material. We only have what, what's, what's in the final edited texts. And so... Um, Clearly, as I just described to you, the two protagonists were knew each other and corresponded a lot. Even though they were in different sides of Western Europe, uh, Vanderton was in France already, beyond the Rhine and to the left, and our hero was already in Regensburg, which is the beginnings of the Danube. So it's far, to, it's five hundred miles to the east. But there's a lot of correspondence and intercourse between these centers in the 12th century. I won't bore you with the details. It was a actually a commercial revolution going on at that time. And uh, uh, so here you have a question which is technical in the Gemara, which is Esther for Asiavia. It must have come up every Purim, like I'm mentioning it now. Uh, Ravain and Tom proposed an approach to explain the Esther story of Zirma Susim Zirmasam. The student of his, you know, heavily criticized me. He said, this is all wrong, you know. And by the way, I only mentioned one of his kashas, a whole bunch over here, brings Rias from all over Shas, you know, that this is wrong. It doesn't give you the reply of Rabbeinu Tom to him, which I'm sure, if I know anything, unless this was done at the end of Rabbeinu Tom's life, he had something to say to, to, to defend himself. Because you know how it is when you talk and learning. It's not, you ask me a kasha and then I stand still. I'm going to try to give you an answer. Maybe you can shoot me down, maybe you can't shoot me down. It goes back and forth. But the Tosafos as an edited work, as a book, as they say, don't give you all the dialogue because it's basically impossible. That you can only do when you have a tape recorder or YouTube. That this one says this, then one answers back, this one answers this, and it says back. It becomes very artificially stylized because that's necessary in the literature. And so we know whoever wrote this Tosvos, whoever composed it, did it in such a way that the Rabbeinu Tom is presented this way, but the students' uh, objections to it are presented in another way, at great length, and there's no reply on the Rabbeinu Tom side. At least I don't think so. Let me see here. I don't believe so, as far as I can see. Uh, to defend himself. So that means that you, the student, if you're so inclined, it's your job to go and try to you know, answer um, the Rabbeinu Tom side, which of course would involve how you would read all those riots that he's bringing from. Um, which, which is, uh, in my opinion, very interesting. Uh, so, 
I'm just sharing this to show you that, uh, first of all, it's interesting. So what I just told you is something, those of you who are a little more on the lambda side might find this something you wish to pursue on Purim, you know, depending on your audience and situation. Second of all, you can come up, if you wish to, with an answer, Bain Tom. And third of all, you see that the Balitosis were real people and had their own set of complex relationships involving geography, uh, Minhagen. By the way, do, do, you know who also ended up in Regensburg, which must have been like a brand new town, like Omaha, like I say, or something like that, you know, uh, Dubuque, uh, whatever, you know, because uh, there are two Chiddushtika or novel um, phenomena, Torah phenomena, that pop up in the 1100s. Um, exactly like it was in the 19th century. One was the new learning. So in the 19th century, it's, I'll just use the word brisk, you know, litfish, to give you an idea what I mean. Shimon Shkop, you know, just like you had that, as I just described to Rabbeinu Tom. Uh, that's one. The other one was the 12th century version of Yisrael Salanter. There was a Muslim movement in Mamisha Muslim movement in the 12th century. This is the Sefer Hasidim and the Hasidi Ashkenaz, which is the final culmination of it. Isn't that interesting? Now, they're not exactly identical, but, they're, but they are the same in the sense that they're aiming for Hasidus, which is Lifnim Ashur Zadin, which if you ever look at the literature of the Sefer Hasidim, especially in the Rokeach, is very Kiddush Dikin in, in, in their ways. Uh, you know, they always have unusual um, approaches to issues. And clearly, just like in the time of Yisrael Salanter, he felt something is rotten in the state of Denmark, you know, that the regular Yiddishkeit is sorely lacking. That's exactly what you have in the 12th century uh, with all these Hasidic Ashkenaz whose, you know, ideas and everything end up being sort of literarily codified or whatever you want to say in uh, what we call the Sefer Hasidim literature. Uh, and they both go to Regensburg. Uh, Rabbi Hirah Chassid is in Regensburg. Uh, hear what I'm saying? So no, he's in Omaha. And the, the Rivon, the Yitzhak ben Mordechai, is in Omaha. And I think the father of the Ravi or something like that is in Omaha. And they're all in Regensburg. And so I realize that most people don't know geography so well and find it boring and all the rest of it. But it's actually not true. If you want to understand history in general, you have to know geography. And if you want to understand Rishonim, um, you have to know several things, one of which is geography. It's not the only thing, but one of the things is geography. And anyway, I just thought that that's interesting. So here's somebody, if you want to pursue Rabbi Yitzhak ben Mordechai, uh, I don't see, I don't think too much has been written on him, except, uh, you know, Optowitz or long ago. But uh, this new safer from uh, Professor Reiner, Rabbeinu Tom, uh, is very good in this regard because it's, it's very up to date. And you see, um, as I said before, the human personalities uh, shining through if you know the background and the, and the context. Uh, anyway, so with that, I just want to say once again, I want to thank Doug Hirsch for being the sponsor again. The second time is very nice. And uh, with that, I wish you a good week and uh, you get ready for a porn. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at 
www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.